Hello, and welcome to the Networking with Plants in the Anthropocene podcast. Today, we are going to talk with another steering committee member, Paul Moss. Welcome. Thanks so much, Kate. Um, I'm happy to be here today. Great. So I was wondering if we could start um, by you telling me a little about yourself and your journey with plants. Sure, I'm happy. I'm happy to do that. Um, I'm uh, live here in Minnesota, uh, and I have been here for about uh, 20 years. Um, my journey with plants started quite a, a while ago, uh, since I was born in 1956. Um, but I've been interested in plants really through my through my whole whole life. I've always just felt that they were uh, uh, beautiful uh, beings, and I've also wondered about their ability to sense and understand things, uh, even from a young a young age. So when I was in college, I studied biology, mostly botany. Then I got a master's degree in agriculture in weed science. And then I uh, worked for the few different things, but also mostly for the state of Minnesota, working on sustainability issues for, for many years. Um, and most recently, I've been a graduate student at the uh, PhD program at the Department of Geography, Environment, and Society at the University of Minnesota, where I've been really focusing particularly on, on issues with plants. But plants have always played a major role in my life, uh, even if it wasn't the main focus of my job. Uh, and so I'm even right now, I'm looking out at the plants in our yard and really uh, enjoying seeing them. That's wonderful. Do, did you have growing up like a garden or do you have one now? Um, you know, I don't, my, my uh, husband has, is kind of the plant wizard in our family in terms of actually growing plants. So we have a very large garden in our house, outside our house, and also many house plants. But I mostly like looking at plants kind of on their own terms, in terms of wild plants or plants that are just growing where they want to grow in ways that they want to grow instead of me managing their growth. So I've kind of, uh, at least in, the, in recent years, I've been really more interested in, in letting plants do their thing without uh, human direction. That's really interesting. Um, a small anecdote, we recently moved to a new ecosystem <laughs> and the house where we're renting, um, there are these beautiful asters in the front yard, um, but our neighbors had never seen them come up. And I, I couldn't help but wonder if it's because all the previous tenants had cut them down before they bloomed because they kind of looked like weeds. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's really cool to see what happens when you just let plants, you know, do their thing on their own terms, like you said. You know, and, and I think, you know, when I was a graduate student a long time ago in, in agronomy and, and in weed science, you know, a lot of that is about controlling plants and especially weed science is about killing plants. And I guess I maybe kind of gone to the other, not extreme, but, you know, I'm just not. I just don't want to 
kill plants and I want to I want to try and make their lives as as best as as I can uh, you know on their own terms instead of of you know more the way I started in my journey was more interested in kind of using plants for for human goals and and now I'm more like to see plants just have their own autonomy if if at all possible. Well, that is a great transition into the next set of questions I have for you. Um, since weeds were weed science was in your past, um, how would you describe your work with plants now? Um, what do you do, and what do the plants do? Okay, well, um, you know, I recently have, uh, as, as I mentioned, you know, when going back to graduate school starting in 2018, I've really been focusing on issues of ethics and plants. And so I think in terms of plants in my life now, I've been trying to figure out ways to really advance ethical treatment of plants and more respectful treatment of plants. Um, and so my studies have been geared towards trying to help me understand ways to do that ways that that could really happen in, in reality. Um, so I've been really learning about different ideas that people have about plants, about the history of our society's relationship with plants. And as a result of that, I, I organized with some other people a conference in 2021 called Toward a New Way of Being with Plants. And uh, we had over 30 speakers and over 1,600 people from around the world participate in this online conference. And as part of that, you know, we recorded all the sessions and they're still available right now on YouTube or through the, the conference website, which is at, at beingwithplants2021.org. So, you know, trying to cre help create a movement that will, that will um, help plants has been important. And so another part of that has evolved into a new organization, which we started in late 2020 called the Plant Initiative. And part of the objectives of the, or the real main objective of the plant initiative is to help create that movement by bringing people together, building new partnerships. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I've been excited to be involved with the networking with plants in the Anthropocene uh, group is because, you know, it's helping to create that broader sense of interconnection between people that are interested in this and, and, and willing to work on this as a, as a topic of of importance to them. So in terms of where I am with plants right now, I'm, I consider myself a plant advocate uh, and I'm trying to help educate other people about plants and where the plants are in this with me, I feel that, you know, there's definitely a spiritual connection that people and plants have had for thousands of years in all different types of cultures. And I feel that, that that's also one of the the things that that plants are doing um, in this work is that I think plants genuinely want to partner with people, with humans, and and to help save our joint home on planet Earth. And that I feel that you know plants are uh, active in helping to bring people together and helping to generate interest on their behalf. And I think that what we've seen in recent years has really been an acceleration of people's interest in plants and openness to plants. And I think that that's not just because of human needs, but it's also because of receptivity of humans uh, to what plants 
are, are interested in. I mean, plants have a long and powerful history of, of affecting animal behavior, whether it's through attracting pollinators or whether it's through, uh, you know, uh, the, the other looking at a certain attractiveness and attracting animals that way, or even entrapping them in terms of, you know, carnivorous plants like Venus flytrap or or the sundew. They're they they are not passive entities when it comes to their relationships with animals, and I don't think with their relationships with the human animal as well. So, so through you know spiritual experiences, um, through all types of uh, just emotional responses that humans have to all types of plants, they're they they are active in our lives, and I think that they are interested in seeing humans change the way that we've been treating the plant world. And so when you when you think about um, your work and the goals that you mentioned of your work, what do you see as the greatest opportunity areas for changing the ways that humans relate to plants? Um, probably in the short term, the major opportunity areas are ways in which it's pretty clear that both humans and plants are co-beneficiaries of whatever changes are gonna have happen. So I think that, you know, in the case of agriculture, which is a topic I've been spending a lot of time thinking about since it's really one of the main human uh, interactions with plants um, is through growing plants in agriculture that I feel that there's a lot of uh, techniques of growing plants, growing crops, where, where it not only benefits the, the uh, plants in terms of greater plant health, in terms of their flourishing, in terms of better uh, plant quality of life, but also in terms of human benefits, whether it's the environmental benefits of greater soil uh, uh, sequestration of carbon in the soil, uh, or uh, you know, better uh, biodiversity, in our environment, causing, helping to, to assure better, better ecological and ecosystem stability, or you know, uh, better nutrition for humans that are eating these plants that that are growing in a more balanced and healthy way with better micronutrients, or just more profitable by by for for farmers because they don't have to. Um, you know, have as many inputs of toxic chemicals or chemical fertilizers if they can rely, help the plants to rely more on the natural uh, communities that they're a part of through mycorrhiza or soil bacteria or, or, or other partner organisms that help plants to thrive. So I think that looking at the biggest opportunity areas probably to see that, um, that yes, giving plants a better quality of life, respecting them more, um, is also going to be good for humans in many ways. Now, I don't think that that said, I don't think that 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 it's it's necessarily going to be that easy where it's always a win-win situation where what's good for plants is good for humans. I think there's many cases in which humans are are misusing plants and are going to have to uh, you know find different ways to 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 deal with plants. And one of those is the, 
the huge amount of plant lives that are wasted. You think about, you know, uh, wasted food products there's, and, and also, you know, wasted wood or, or other types of, of plant products. I think that that's, you know, there's a lot of plants that are having their lives cut short for agricultural purposes that, that are not really causing any net benefit in the world at all, because whatever it is that they've, that's been produced is being wasted. So I think that, you know, that's one thing that, that uh, needs to be done. Other issues are, have to do with like, you know, bi biotechnology and, and patenting plant lives. You know, I would, I would assert that, that for plants to be respected, that it, they're not really, should not be able to be patented, you know, that they, they belong to themselves. They're organisms that have their own identity that have their own ownership over their own lives. They're not private property for humans to be just making money off of and, and, and monopolizing. So I think there's, that's another example where I think that the way that our dominant culture has been treating plants is really needs to, to change. And there's many, many other examples as well. So I think that there's some easier things when there's a clear benefit for both humans and plants. And then there's some more difficult and challenging and, and probably long-term changes that need to happen. And that's when the, you know, the benefit of plants is maybe causing uh, a less, less of, a, of a, an assertion of power by humans. And, and, and fortunately, we have models from other cultures that are besides the dominant culture for how to look at plants. So for example, indigenous cultures uh, have and continue to uh, treat plants in a much different way, treating them as relatives with a sense of reciprocity and respect. Uh, not, that, not that you can't use plants for human purposes or kill them or eat them or whatever, but the, it, the issue is, is that plants need to be considered, their interests, their own intrinsic interests need to be considered in terms of how they're going to be, uh, you know, how we're going to interact with them. And I think that the, the indigenous culture through their, their sense of a more horizontal aspect of the way that all life on earth is interrelated and, and equal and part of a community is a much uh, healthier and more effective way of looking at plants than our Western-based uh, approach, which is more based on this great chain of being, which historically has asserted a kind of a hierarchy in which humans are superior to animals in terms of superior to plants. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of changes that need to happen in people's worldview and people's way of perceiving plants. But I think those are things that are probably going to take a long time and, and, and a deeper sense of change than some of those easier things that I mentioned that just improve plant health and human health simultaneously. Yes, you mentioned a ton of great uh, stuff there. Um, one follow-up that I have for you related to your discussion of respect, what it means to have respect for plants, using the example of the patent, um, and also your mention earlier in the interview about spiritual experiences, I was wondering what kind of beings do you think plants are? Well, I, I the good it's a good question, and I think that really comes down to the root of of 
probably our our problem in in dealing with plants is that is what are they you know i so i would say from you know i'll answer it a little roundabout way first of all i want to acknowledge that there's a a syndrome or a, a phenomenon called plant blindness and that is 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 part of the reason why plants are perceived in the way they are as, as there it's kind of a way of kind of dismissing anything to do with plants as being secondary, less important, less interesting. And it, I think, is within our, our Western dominant culture is pretty uh, significant way in why plants are, are treated the way they are. To me, plants, I look at them when I look at a plant and I think of it as kind of a, a, a creature like I would think of it as any other creature, like an, like an, an animal. So if I'm, you know, looking at a a forest, I try and put myself in a mindset that these are sentient, intelligent beings. They don't have bodies like ours. They don't um, move like an animal would, but they have the same exact functionality that an animal has so that anything that an animal can do, they can do as well. Uh, and it's just, it's just that they have a different body structure and the different mechanisms for doing those same actions. So I see them as as intelligent, sentient, uh, conscious beings that are constantly having to um, make decisions based on all of the different environmental parameters that they perceive. You know, they perceive, obviously we know light and, and moisture and nutrients, but they perceive also sound. They can perceive, uh, you know, touch. Uh, th there's the, you know, all types of positionality, I've read somewhere that there's about 20 different senses that plants have, and a lot of those go way beyond what animals have. So they they're super sophisticated communicating beings, and there's been you know so much recent scientific research on this topic. Uh, you know, through some of it has been summarized through you know Natalie Lawrence's and Paco Calvo's new book, Plants of Sapiens, and uh, others has been you know just uh, summarized by many other people like Monica Gagliano and, and Anthony Truavas and, and many others. So those who are interested in, in delving more into these phenomena, you know, in terms of the scientific basis for what plants are and what plants can do, uh, there's a lot of literature out there, especially in the last uh, couple decades. So I think that, you know, plants are, I see them as basically equal. To, to us in terms of their functionality and their sensitivity. And I think it's a travesty that the way they're treated as just objects to for, uh, for whatever human use seems desirable and, and to just be not really considering their um, own needs as sensitive beings that they have. Yes, and so, does your respect then for plants kind of come out of or is a responsiveness to what you see plants as being these very robustly <laughs> conscious, intelligent, interactive, responsive um, creatures and how is that respect embodied? Well, well, two answers to that. I, I, I think there's definitely part of the reason that I respect plants comes out of their 
their abilities and what I see them as their identity. But I feel like it's a, a little bit of a dangerous path to take that approach constantly with plants in terms of talking about plant ethics and respect for plants, because you're still like uh, using like human characteristics as like a measuring uh, uh, tool for other beings being considered morally considerable. So, so I feel like I kind of, I think it does help to understand and on an emotional level to when you're dealing with plants, to think of them that way and to think of them as they're just like animals. But in a way it's problematic because it, 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 it is not, it's still like conditional. It's like, well, you mean if plants, like you had a 2000 year old tree and it didn't, wasn't conscious or it wasn't able to do certain things or it wasn't sensitive or whatever, then it wouldn't matter. So it's not, I don't want to just make it like conditional on the fact that plants have amazing abilities that that's why we need to respect them. I really feel that we need to respect all all beings and not just based on any specific characteristics that we impute to them or that we think that they have. And so I would include, you know, microorganisms or fungi or, or any, any being, and I would extend it also to non-living beings, you know, to crystals, rocks, uh, other, the earth, water, air. So I don't, I don't like want to like base respect only on that they meet a certain uh, have certain, uh, you know, abilities and, 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 our, and that's why we need to respect them. I do think it makes it even worse from a moral perspective if you know that something is suffering and that you're causing pain and discomfort to it and that you're doing something to it that it doesn't consent to, that makes it worse in my opinion. But it doesn't, it doesn't really get at the fact that all beings really deserve to be treated well. And really even looking at microorganisms, I think if you look at, you know, there's been research about the kind of things that they can do, they have to integrate a lot of information as well. You know, so this whole, this whole earth, everything living on this earth is sensitive and intelligent and, and conscious in its own way. And so we have to be really thoughtful about the way we treat things, all things. I don't know if I answered the second part of your question. Well, well, that is incredibly helpful. And it's something that I find myself confronting a lot in my own work, you know, working within a discipline that's very human centric. Um, it is interesting to see how often capabilities, capacities are connected to um, how they're either, how those entities then are morally considered or respected. And I think it's a really important and interesting point to say, maybe that's not, you know, how we should respond to that. Maybe respect is grounded in something else. Um, so that's, yeah, that's really helpful. Well, you know, one, just to add on what you're saying, I think, you know, one of the critiques of, you know, mainstream environmental ethics or, you know, animal rights theory or, or things like that is that it's, it's there, there's two issues. One is they're based on a kind of a logical framework. 
So they're based on looking at at thing, looking at these these ethical problems through a rational lens, and then making you know like postulates and rules. And you know this way better than me because of your work in philosophy. But the, and so I think that that's only part of the picture because the whole issue of relationship and of care and of you know connection uh, is gets kind of lost in that and. You know, I've seen critiques of, you know, mainstream philosophy that it's too like kind of got this more going on a limb here, but saying it's more like a male-oriented kind of a framework where there's kind of linear and top-down versus a more, you know, the way that the eco-feminists would look at some of these issues in terms of environmental ethics, you know, is way more relationship-based and context-based. And so I think that it's it's important to consider that because otherwise, if you wind up with like just kind of you know starting off with this basis that humans are are kind of the the main ethical you know issue here and we can if we use the right logical argumentation we can extend you know the way we think about ethical treatment of humans to other beings you know be if they meet certain logical criteria they're sentient they can feel pain whatever it is then you know you're still locked within that human centric dynamic versus looking at, at everything in terms of an interconnected web of relationships, you know, that's not, you don't argue, you're not necessarily fine having to make a logical argument then why you need to respect the others. They're just, you're, you're connected with them. You love them. You feel for them. You, you identify them, you empathize with them. And that's it. That's the basis of, of ethical treatment of those other beings, of course, including plants, but everything. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so that relational aspect is so key. Um, and so when you think about respect for plants, what are some of the ways that you see it being embodied? So that's a complicated question because the issue is, is that, you know, I, I think that that's the key question because a lot of what we've been talking about is about ideas and concepts and frameworks of looking at the world. And when it really comes down to action, it's like completely different set of issues that have to be considered. It's the practical issues of how does social change happen and how do people uh, you know, adapt their way of looking at the world and, and how, how to do uh, beliefs, how can we actively make change in the way that, that, that plants are treated? And I think in that framework, there's a, there's different tools. I mean, you can think of of legal issues, you know. So legal tools such as the Endangered Species Act or other types of of uh, you know legal protections that exist, even for plants, you know, with that that already exists is one is one tool I think that can help to uh, bring this into the world of reality because we do live in a in a society that's pretty legal based in terms of how it makes its decisions. So that that is evolved into the this whole rights of nature movement, which I think is pretty exciting. And, and it's kind of basing uh, respectful treatment of all living beings, in, including plants, in, in a more of a, a legal framework, but kind of stemming that from more, you know, sometimes from constitutions or other legal structures. So but I feel like that's so that you can take legal ang angles 
to make change. I think there's kind of on a individual basis, there's a lot of things that people can do as just as individuals that can show more respectful treatment of plants. So it could be anything from taking care of your house plants if you have them and not, you know, let making sure that they're well well cared for and are are happy to or as well as the plants that you might be interacting with in your garden or even in your neighborhood. Um, there's ways of not wasting food. So if you purchase, you know, heads of lettuce or carrots or onions to, you know, to respect their lives and 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 consume them as 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 you would, you know, and not just have their lives just just have gone to waste for nothing, you know, because there was, you know, there was consequences for them and being removed from the earth and having to sit in a supermarket and be trucked around and packaged or whatever. So, you know, to respect that and to respect the fact that, you know, when you read a book, you know, it's it's made from paper that came from a living tree, you know, and so to think about that these trees and these plants, you know, died so that you could read read this book. So I think there's there's ways in, in terms of, of of things like that. Um, there's there's a lot of just good environmental things that have to do with increasing respect for plants. So things that preserve wild biodiversity, whether it's through you know land trusts or setting aside land, or um, you know working with indigenous communities so that they can protect their their important species to them, and that's been the case in Minnesota where the uh, indigenous communities have really been in the forefront of trying to protect wild rice and have actually um, acknowledged the, uh, or recognized in, in, in their ordinances, the, the rights of wild rice uh, as, as a living being to, to flourish. So, so there's ways of kind of partnering with indigenous people and others that, that believe in this uh, approach to plants. There's just general education I think is, is consciousness raising somewhat for people that have never really taken the time or been exposed to these kind of alternative ideas about plants and what they are and how they should be treated. So to, and I think there's some like interest and hunger for that among people to learn about plants and about, and about, you know, what they are. I think people find it very interesting and fascinating and particularly with COVID, I think, when that's caused some reconsideration of where people are at with the natural world. A lot of people forced to stay at home, uh, you know, and forced to look at things differently. I think there's been, I think, a greater appreciation of the parts of, of nature and, and wild nature that, that we have in, in plants. So, you know, so there's, there's you know, so many di dimensions to this that, that range from from more, you know, rules to to just encouraging caring behavior that that can, or just even good practices, you know, and like environmental practices and reducing waste, all of those can contribute towards greater respect for plants. Yes. So, <clears throat> as we think about some of the crises that we're going through. Um, the myriad ways we uh, fail to treat plants with respect um, amidst this sometimes bleak, sometimes optimistic, <laughs> right? Depending on how you look at things. Um, 
outlook or position we're in, um, which plants give you hope and why? Um, I would say that these herbicide resistant weeds give me hope. I think that it's, uh, you know, that despite all of the human, uh, you know, attempts to control uh, non-wanted plants in agriculture, uh, the plants have shown that they are formidable force uh, to, to be reckoned with and that they are not able to be controlled as humans would want. They, you know, it requires huge effort for people to control, to try to control weeds. And I think the weeds have shown that they are able uh, and willing and will, uh, you know, resist that. So I think that it's like a lesson that plants are teaching to people uh, is that, you know, they're, they're a force to be reckoned with. They are not just passive objects. They will do what it takes to survive. Uh, and they will, you know, somewhat um, sabotage efforts that don't treat them respectfully. So I think, you know, looking at plant resistance uh, through beings like that, particularly the, the plants that we call weeds, to me, that gives a lot of encouragement about the resilience of the earth, about uh, the, the limitations of human domination uh, to put everything under control. And I find that uh, really encouraging. I'm sure, you know, as an as a agricultural producer, you wouldn't feel that way. But, you know, the weeds are a symptom of a problem. You know, they're not, they're not the cause of the problem. They're, they're the symptom of the problem is that, you know, there's a niche out there, which is because you've got open soil or you've got, you know, your, your cropping practices are inappropriate. You've created this niche for these other beings to, to thrive. And so I think that it's, it's you know, it's basically a, a message to get back to working back, working in partnership with the other beings in the agricultural ecosystem, instead of thinking that humans have the right or or have the ability to control everything, because it's it's not going to work. So I like I like to see that the plants are actively um, kind of fighting back about that. That is a great. Uh example for sure especially coming from someone who has you know a history learning about weeds and um different types of ways that humans have tried to uh manage or eradicate them um in addition to the power and resilience of plants what else, if anything, do you think plants um, are teaching humans? Or put another way, uh, what can humans learn from plants? Well, I think plants have taught humans uh, many things. If you look at uh, medicinal use of plants by humans, uh, you know, you look back in and in current traditional cultures, indigenous cultures, 
you know, roles of, of the shaman and others are they are actively communicating and learning from plants uh, about medical treatments and about other, other things as well. So I think that plants have always been teaching humans and, and humans have always been, been learning from plants on really deep levels. I mean, there's, I think plants inspire people you know, so I think that people write poems and draw them and maybe do music about them. You know, they're they're So I think that they touch us in an emotional way uh, and in way, you know, with flowers and, and we use them as symbols. Uh, and so it's they're, they're very active, you know, in our lives and not, not just because that they're providing us with the oxygen that we need to survive and the food that we need to eat and all that. But they're, you know, they're, they're, we, we, we have a lot, a lot to learn. And I, and I, and I think on a, on a spiritual dimension too, they're open to communicating with people, to teaching people, you know, if they're asked and if they're approached respectfully. So I think that they're, they're, they're very much our teachers and they're very much our, 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 um, uh, valued uh, members of this community, where if you look at who, who's alive on this planet, and the the percentage of biomass that's plants is is the vast majority on the land, and so you know it, it's it's a plant a planet of plants. So you know it's more like well what what are we giving back for them to them for all that they're giving to us, and how are we uh, treating them or 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 just you know reciprocating in any way for all that we're getting it they're they're not appreciated to the extent that they need to be for all that they're doing and also for all that they are definitely and continuing the theme of teaching um you have mentioned before that you're currently a graduate student um but kind of to, to circle back to that, uh, which types of education do you participate in as a student or as a teacher or both? And what do you think the role of education is in humans networking with plants? Um, I think education is really important, especially in our society, uh, in the dominant culture where, where people are pretty uh, not they're not very knowledgeable about plants in any way because of plant blindness and other types of, of reasons. They just don't know very much about them. So I think that education is important in terms of building a context through which people can care about and connect with plants in, in different ways. For me, uh, a lot of what I've learned, I mean, I loved going to school and I really like taking classes in the had an opportunity to take a lot of classes over the years. And so I feel that, you know, it to, to, to be able to critically understand the um, kind of intellectual environment that has led us to this place, I think is very, very helpful. But I, I don't know that that's something that everyone has the interest or desire or, or time or willingness to do, you know, but I think that for me, that's been very rewarding to understand the way that various philosophers and historians and scientists and 
and you know geographers and cultural specialists have looked at plants over the years and how that's changed and how the difference between how indigenous people and others look at plants you know it gets you out of your your space and it provides you with a landscape through which you can you know better ground yourself and situate yourself in terms of of uh understanding a, a, a super large and complex situation so i think that efforts such as you know um networking with plants in the anthropocene that that can help you know through whatever podcasts or online resources or otherwise uh to to educate people about these topics and 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 help them to you know, just consider things maybe a little bit differently and to explore on their own. That's really helpful. And I think to do that, though, you really need this breadth of participation. So, you know, for me, maybe I've taken a lot of classes and a lot of topics, but you don't really need to take classes to learn things from different perspectives. Sometimes if you just read them or, you know, or hear about them or watch them in a video, you know, then that that also can do that. But I think that there needs to be a a, 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 a collaborative kind of interdisciplinary uh, approach towards towards changing the way that we that we view plants and that and that efforts that to educate people like you're doing, Kate, with these podcasts and that others are doing uh, are really really important because otherwise people just kind of stay in their in their little niche. They don't really go out. So providing them information enough to it. And at least entice them to rethink things and to explore on their own and to go through their own journey of exploration and, and of, of, of uh, change in terms of how they want to be with plants and relate to plants, I think is, is, is really important. I don't think you can force people to do it, but education can catalyze people to do it on their own energy. And I think that, you know, sometimes just, just you know, hearing something that's that's kind of out of the box or unexpected or, or mysterious or amazing can really jolt people into kind of deciding that they want to explore that further and learn more. Yes, definitely. I, I definitely feel pretty grateful <laughs> that I get to spend my time talking with people who are so passionate about plants, both on this podcast and in my research it's it's a wonderful thing to get to learn from others and constantly be kind of like reassessing what's possible um through you know different approaches um to working with plants for sure You mentioned the networking with plants in the Anthropocene, and of course, this is the networking with plants in the Anthropocene podcast. Um, what are some of the other opportunities you see for the network? Well, I think it's really, you know, I hope that people that listen to this think that maybe this is something they'd like to get involved with, because really, we're just a, a, a loose-knit group. We're not an and we don't have a formal organization. And we're just a, 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 a way that people that have these interests can potentially collaborate with each other in doing projects that we think would be important for plants. And so, you know, I think that, you know, encourage people to kind of 
consider getting involved, at least sign up for the email list on our website. And, uh, you know, I think because it's really going to depend on the people that are involved and what they want to do. So I think the broader the, the network we have, and we have members from throughout the world, really, uh, then I think that 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 allows for richer possibilities. So that, you know, there will be various tasks. Maybe people will want to have in-person events, maybe online networking events, maybe online conferences. There's podcasts. There's uh, could have an educational uh, repository of educational materials or recommended books or articles or videos. Uh, there's really no limit to what a network can do of interested people that want to contribute their time and energy and ideas and interests, you know, for a common purpose. And so I think that it's great that this network exists and that we can uh, invite other people to be involved and uh, that, you know, as a community, a learning community and a community of interest, we can, you know, try and make it change and, and build connections, uh, you know, on this topic. Thank you again so much for talking with us, Paul. Thank you so much, Kate. Really appreciate the opportunity to participate today and for your, your great questions and for such a, a stimulating conversation. So thanks so much. It was a total pleasure, Paul. Thank you. Again, this conversation has been with Paul Moss. He's the director of the Plant Initiative. More information about how to follow up with Paul and connect with the Plant Initiative will be provided in the show notes. information about the Networking with Plants in the Anthropocene group, please visit our website at networkingwithplants.org. There, you can also fill out a form if you would like to join our mailing list. Alternatively, you're welcome to email us at networkingwithplants@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's podcast, and we hope that you will join us next time when we talk with another passionate group of plant people uh, working with plants. Thank you. The music piece is kindly offered to us by artist Mylise. Mylise is a sonic artist, immersive ecology designer, and clean energy ambassador. Merging art and technology, she creates music experiences that express the voices of plants and the other inhabitants of the earth.